Uh, so this week and next week we've got some slight different shows. Uh, these are a series of shows that I've edited together from interviews I did at Veeam's technical conference, Veeamon. Uh, while I was there I met with a number of Veeam's partners as well as industry analysts who were there covering the event to talk about the wider data availability market and how our relationship with data is changing the way that we approach our availability strategies. Uh, so this week I speak firstly with Justin Warren, uh, Justin who is a consultant and analyst uh, and also the host of the fantastic Eigencast podcast uh, as we discuss the wider data availability market and how attitudes may or may not be changing. Uh, and then after that I meet up with with uh, NetApp's Jeff Leeds as we talk about the importance of the right partnership in building your data fabric strategies. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show. Uh, I'm here at the Veeamon event. One of the great things that uh, you get to do at these kind of events is meet people that normally you ever only see in social media or have heard on a podcast. Uh, and today, fortunately, uh, enough to do that. And I've uh, been joined here by Justin Warren. Uh, hi, Justin. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, let people know a little bit about you and, and what it is you do. Sure. Hi, I'm, I'm Justin Warren. Uh, I am Chief Analyst and Managing Director of Pivot9 Consulting, based out in uh, Melbourne, Australia. And uh, you may know me from the internet. Um, I do podcast stuff, I do media things, I'm a contributor at Forbes and CRN and you can find a bunch of my scribblings online if you feel so inclined. Yeah, well anyway, we're, we're here at the Vmon event and you know we, we've been talking a little bit around uh, what the industry looks like. Um, and so maybe as a good starting point with, with your experience, you know, how, do you, um, how do you see the current data industry, you know, the, the, the kind of the industry that, that Veeam play in um, and and maybe how you see kind of the current uh, you know, backup and recovery market. Sure. Um, it got really boring for a while. So about 10 years ago, I think, was the last time we had a major shake-up of the backup. But well, I'd call it the secondary data market, really. Um, I'll call it backup and recovery. And that was data domain. So that was back in the era where pretty much everything was designed around tape systems, uh, which had been around since the mainframe, we, you know, full backups and then incrementals. And a lot of the way in which we did that was all based around tape-based systems. It was quite complicated, um, particularly enterprise systems, had lots of dials and buttons and things, which was typical for enterprise software at the time. Uh, And then we had, there were virtual tape libraries, but they were a bit fragile and didn't work that well. And then Data Domain came along with things like Dedupe. Um, and and just its speed because it was all on disk uh, and made it vastly different and people kind of got excited about backup for a, for a change and then it all went quiet uh, and we had about 10 years of not really much happening and then all of a sudden we had companies like Veeam and Rubrik and Cohesity and a bunch of other people come on to the scene and shake things up a bit and their inspiration was really a couple of other major trends happening in the industry which was uh, disk and flash in particular uh, the the rise of compute and very fast commodity compute being used for scale out systems and the general trend of software becoming much more like consumer devices where people are getting used to the idea of it being easy and simple to use but doing that requires a great deal of engineering to happen behind the scenes to deal with all the corner cases and weirdness that happens with software and software and hardware breaks all the time. Making it predictable and easy to use and generally reliable takes a lot of effort to do. And that was pretty much Veeam's strength, was they made it easy to use, easy to get going and easy to operate in a way that we hadn't really seen before. And so. One of the things that interested me about coming to this conference was the idea that um, you know Vima looked at as a, this kind of backup and recovery player. You know, as you've said, that you know the backup and recovery market can be quite dull. You know, and, and almost something that's anonymous to a lot of people. It's just something that kind of runs in the background. 
But as the world's changing, you just kind of hinted there about how, how the world's trying to change, how we are maybe moving more and more stuff off premises, we're maybe, um, maybe using cloud software as a service, you know, all of these kind of things. I was fascinated about how Veeam and companies like Veeam perhaps re- remain relevant in the in, in the modern world. I mean, is that the kind of thing you're seeing? You know, how how are how are other companies looking at this? You know, uh, uh, is there a move in the data protection market to to look at shaking up the way they look at the world to to remain relevant? Yeah, I, I think the big change for secondary data and backup is is moving away from systems that were designed for tape. And there's nothing wrong with tape. I, I quite like it, and there are lots of use cases where tape is extremely useful. Um, but a lot of the systems that were designed around tape systems uh, don't have things like the fact that you can ingest data at very fast rates onto flash. That behaves a lot like highly parallel tape drives, but then you have the ability to recover very, very quickly, and particularly things like time to first byte. Um, the biggest thing around backup, incidentally, is that back when we used to do tape, we had backup fulls and then we do incrementals, and that was around the limitations of tape and throughputs and so on. Now, pretty much all modern backup software does incremental forever. And really, that was only, I think it was AGSM or TSM, its predecessor, many, many years ago, used to do that with tape, and it was fragile and difficult and nightmare. When you put it on disk, it's much, much easier. And that gives you, it it creates new affordances in a design term. Things become possible that simply weren't considerable before like what you can do when you have flash, like what you can you can do when you have commodity compute and uh, consensus algorithms like Paxos and Raft. When you have the underpinnings of a system built in that way, it creates the new possibilities that really weren't there before, and that's underpinning a lot of what is now possible with system software like Veeam. We also ha- simultaneously have, as I mentioned before, the, the pressure from consumer devices and the way people are doing things in other uh, orthogonal industries to the to the tech industry or parts of the tech industry particularly in consumer where you have things that are simply easy to use where anybody can pick up a phone and use it a phone is a very very complicated device and yet pretty much anyone can pick it up you know small children can pick it up and it has a very intuitive inter- interface I don't think you would say that any enterprise backup software had an intuitive interface 10 years ago. I think often that quite a lot of them don't now either. But um, one of the things that came from the main stage today actually was from, I think Bill Lipson from HPE said, um, one of the requirements for any technology company is to make data protection availability something that's seamless uh, and something that's simple. You know, is that, is that something you share? Absolutely. It should be like plumbing. Um, one of my peeves from this conference has been the number of people who are excited about things. Saying, really? These are dull concepts. So if you're excited, that's kind of scary, I think. Um, I don't want backup and recovery to be exciting. If it's exciting, that means everything's on fire. I want my recovery systems to be dead boring because I want it to just work in the same way that the plumbing system just works. If you, it, I, I actually encourage people, go and have a look at the details of how the municipal water supply works. It is amazing. Incredibly complex machine with lots and lots of different moving parts, and yet we all take it for granted until it breaks. And IT systems are very, very similar. If it's all designed very well and, and engineered well, most of the time it just works, and it's great, and you can come to depend on it. It's when it breaks and doesn't behave the way we think it should well, that's when we need systems like availability and, and Veeam and backup and recovery to, to kick in and, and help us get back to something which we can then take for granted again. 
ideally, that's what we should all be doing. It, it should just work and we don't actually have to think about it very much. You touched on there what's uh, the thing that's been perhaps weird of the week while we've been here has been availability. You know, this kind of uh, refocus to being a business about availability, you know, making sure stuff's always on so we can always have our digital lives on, uh, as we kind of touched on earlier. Um, I mean, is that something, though, that you're seeing when you talk to your customers? You know, is the, the idea that businesses are starting to look at availability? It's about, is my application here? It's about my data being there. Or our organisations, they still look at data protection as I just want to back stuff up. You know, are we seeing a shift where where companies are becoming are taking a different view? Uh, as much as I'd like to say yes, no, not really. Uh, it, it requires thinking about things in a completely different way, generally. So it's like insurance most of the time. Most people view their backup and recovery system as as like insurance. Uh, it's a cost. I don't really see it doing anything, so it feels like a waste of money. It's like, yeah, having a backup system there or having a, a second pair on your HA pair or a DR site, its whole job is to be there. That's why you spent the money on it. So it, the fact that it exists is it doing its job, and that's, that's what you spend the money on. Um, the same with insurance. You actually don't want to use it, but it's there in case things explode. Now, there are different ways of doing it, which a lot of the cloud providers are doing uh, a lot more than most businesses simply because of scale and the efficiencies that they need to hit at scale. Um, most organisations do not have the same scale. Um, the number of companies with Google scale problems can be counted on one finger. If you want to be running things in the same way, it requires thinking about problems in a fundamentally different way, like always be recovering. It's about having highly clustered systems so that you can take any node out and do repairs and maintenance without having any impact on the rest of things um, on, on how they run. But setting that up in the first place is very complicated. Uh, most organisations don't feel, they don't see enough value to be worth the upfront cost of doing that in the same way that a lot of companies don't see the value in, in the upfront cost of uh, putting in security or in uh, a lot of other expenses that they say, well, look, this is a big upfront cost. I don't know that it's really going to hap happen and humans are really bad at risk. So they will generally poorly assess the risk. Um, it will, they'll, you know, exponential discounting is a thing and they'll say, Meh, it's probably not going to happen. I won't spend the money. And then when everything explodes, I won't be here anyway because I'm now going to be CEO of a completely different company. So it's not my problem. That kind of human behaviour stuff is, is really what drives a lot of the, the dysfunction, I suppose, that we see around how this stuff gets used. Uh, however, more and more companies are starting to adopt the behaviour of the larger car companies who have a very clear commercial imperative to do it better. And those ideas are filtering down. In the same way that we've had uh, cluster-based systems for hyper-converged uh, type things, that has filtered down from what? large large scale providers have been doing in the same way that you, you know, what happens in a Mercedes S class will eventually end up in other other cars as just a commodity feature you know everyone has airbags now it didn't used to happen electric windows is a thing that just everybody has so we're, we're seeing that kind of uh, what's it called technology diffusion that is happening so yeah more and more companies are taking to it are starting to adopt it particularly as it gets easier for them to do so if it's easier for people to grab, in fact, in some cases, it's, it's harder to not do it the right way because it's just not an option anymore. And that's really what's driving it. I just wanted to touch on one other thing, because um, I know you've got all the meetings to go to. So I just wanted to touch on one other thing that um, we've heard a couple of times over the last couple of days, uh, and I think it's an interesting idea. 
We've talked about how backup is often seen as something we don't want to invest in. It's an insurance company, so an insurance policy we don't want to spend money on necessarily. Um, and part of that is because we take backups of data and then that data then goes and sits in some repository somewhere and offers absolutely no value. And maybe until the day we need it, you know, because something's gone horribly wrong in production. But there's been some talk here about the idea of maybe trying to grab value from that data. You know, is that... Uh, are you got any views on that? How, how that you know maybe been able to take analytics of my data that then sits in a, a backup repository rather than it just sitting there doing nothing? Uh, it sounds great. Um, uh, no, uh, most people have a whole bunch of data that has no value whatsoever, and they keep it because it. Why not? Um, figuring out what your data. What? Why do we have this? Like what, what, uh, people. <laughs> unfortunately, the big data idea and this fact that you know oh machine will wave some machine learning magic over stuff and things will just happen it's like computers aren't magic they're a finite state machine uh, and machine learning is just statistics yes there's some very fancy stuff none of you are using it trust me um, most of the stuff that's getting done it can't even handle the most basic of statistics I see it all the time it drives me mad unfortunately a lot of data is being kept that has no value um, and that actually costs you money because the discipline required and the, the human effort required to figure out whether or not this data is worth anything requires humans to do something that they're not very good at, which is why it doesn't happen. It's f easier um, and cognitively cheaper to just say, oh, just keep it forever because we might need it one day. You know, it's pack rat syndrome, syndrome. I do the same thing. I, I hoard stuff. like, so, oh, yeah, I might need that obscure screw one day. So, no, I won't throw it out. And then you do the big cleanup one day when you just get rid of all this stuff. Unfortunately, companies don't do that until, I don't know, they have this mountain of tapes sitting somewhere out of sight, out of mind. They never have to worry about it. If you want to get good value out of your data, you need to know what the data is, what it is and what it's for. The second major challenge is around security, and I think that's probably going to drive it much more than just, oh, we need to figure out what value this has before we spend all this money keeping it. The security of the data is going to drive that behaviour much, much more, particularly as we see more and more legislation around privacy and uh, control over individual data, because data is not purely an asset, it's also a liability. Every day we have a new breach where people's credit card information or birth dates and you know, PII gets leaked to the internet because some dimwit was hoarding it all and wasn't securing it properly. I would put it to you that if you are considering we have all of this data sitting on backup so we want to go leverage and we want to make it easier to access, awesome, you just made hackers' jobs much, much easier. Have a real good think about whether or not you're protecting that data adequately and then you will suddenly decide, I think, that actually we probably don't want to have all of that information sitting around here where anyone with a subpoena can come get it. I think that's. Um, I think you make a very valid point actually about the, the the data security aspect of that because I think one of the things that we're seeing, certainly seeing in Europe at the moment, of course, uh, because of GDPR, is companies now starting to take a look at I'm keeping all this stuff. Why? Because I think the the you know the the idea that if you don't have it, you can't lose it is is quite a powerful. One. So so I think there's a lot to be said for that. And well, look, as we come to the end of the time, just one other question I think was the. So for all the things you've heard here, you know, and and looking at your experience of the industry and, and as you see it. What's your view on the way Veeam are looking to reposition themselves? We've had lots of talk about the, the idea of them being a kind of an enabler for data movement. You know, the idea that this kind of multi-cloud world that we all live in. Um, you know, have you got any views on on what Veeam have been talking about strategically? Whether they're you know those focuses are in in good places. 
Uh, some of the rhetoric bothered me, but I, in the follow-up questions I've had with the executives uh, has been very encouraging. I think that the strategy is actually pretty good. Um, it's not perfect, but it's it never is, and I can't predict the future. No one can. I see them making all the right noises um, about the kinds of things that are possible, and I don't think the marketing is leading the execution of the product too much. Some parts of what they're talking about are a little bit aspirational. Um, it's talking about cloud and, and data movement. That is possible, but I think Veeam have a long way to go to get there yet. I think, and I don't think that they need to, certainly not within the next 12 months. There is a rich vein to be mined in just backup and recovery and data availability. Um, doing things like, if, even if we just extend availability from backup and recovery to DR and replication. They've done that now with the, with the continuous data protection function that is going to be coming in V10. Awesome. There's a large market there that they can go on and, and grab plenty of market share on. Um, there will be a lot of fighting with um, heritage vendors about who can do it well and who can scale and all this sort of nonsense. And I think Veeam are positioned very well to go and attack that market, which is right next to the one that they're already in. As they do that and then try to expand their aspirations to a, a, a broader amount of the market, so they, they had some slides on uh, up on, I think it was the Partner Day, talking about the different markets they want to expand into. When you're getting into things like data orchestration and... Uh, what were some of the other ones? But generally, you know, cloud data movement. There are plenty of storage type companies who've made noises in that area. Uh, and there are lots of other incumbent companies who are already doing that. That's quite a different function than backing up and recovering virtual machines. So what's required to change your company into someone who can credibly do that I think a lot of people underestimate that, um, particularly technology people. Oh, it's just technology. So it really isn't. There's a lot of business side and a lot of process and a lot of uh, convincing customers who've already got other solutions that do that and do them reasonably well that your thing is better enough to be worth changing everything across. And I think as they go more and more into the enterprise, they'll find that the, uh, the inertia from enterprises is more substantial than people really understand and that that will look at it, there's some lovely healthy margins there but that'll also start to slow the company down in, in terms of its ability to chat, move into new markets because their customers won't let them um, and that that is just one of the tensions of dealing with enterprise customers and and indeed moving from one market into other markets uh, to expand a company if it was easy everyone would be doing it yeah, that's so true about lots of things, isn't it? Uh, well, just to wrap up, um, I mentioned right at the start uh, about, uh, I've, I've, you know, I've, I've followed a lot of things you do on social media, uh, and I'm a particular fan of the uh, the podcast that you run. Uh, so it would be very remiss of me uh, at the end not to um, not to let people know, um, one, how they can find you and uh, and check out your particular kind of sass on Twitter, um, and so where they can find you for doing that. But also, um, you know, where they can find your podcast, and uh, yeah, maybe even actually a little bit about what, what that podcast is about. Uh, sure. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter as at JP Warren, and I regularly snark on all kinds of different bits and pieces. Um, the podcast is called the Eigencast, and I try to cover the business of enterprise technology, as I say, how to buy, what is it? How to buy it, sell it, and use it. 
Um, and it's mostly me talking to executives of various technology companies, uh, trying to look at larger trends rather than just breaking news or whatever particular product they're trying to flog this month. Um, and I, I have some rather interesting conversations, so I like to let other people listen in. So if you do want to come and listen to some of those conversations, feel free. Uh, the website is eigenmagic.com, and you can find the Eigencast in iTunes and various other podcast tool downloady things. So do come and uh, have a listen and you know, let me know what you think on Twitter. Well, personally, I can't recommend it enough. I think, uh, you know, if we're in this industry, uh, it's, it's something that you should be listening to. Uh, just now, I know you've got a whole bunch of other things to do, so uh, thanks for your time. Much appreciated. Uh, you are very welcome. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. That was a great interview with Justin. So next up, I caught up with NetApp's Jeff Leeds as we talked about the importance of building an appropriate set of partnerships to build a full and robust data fabric and data protection strategy. So settle back, enjoy this interview. Uh, I'm here at Vmon, just having a wander around on the show floor, and uh, bumped into uh, one of my well, my very favourite storage company, uh, NetApp, here at the uh, Vmon conference. Uh, so I've been joined by uh, Jeff Leeds. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how are you doing today? Uh, very well, thanks. And uh, maybe just for the audience, a, a quick introduction of what it is you do, and then maybe we'll dig into a little bit about why NetApp are here with Veeam, and, uh, and maybe a little bit about the partnership. Sure, absolutely. So my name's Jeff Leeds. I work out of the Corporate Alliances Group at NetApp. So I'm I'm based in Sunnyvale, California, our corporate headquarters, and I'm actually da- I'm actually the Data Protection Alliance Manager, so I look after several of the data protection partners, and Veeam, of course, is, is one of our premier uh, partners that we sponsor uh, here at the show and uh, also support at a very lo- high level. Yeah, no, it's interesting that you're, you're at this with, um, you say, you know, the, the kind of the Data Protection Alliances uh, stuff, you know, so, you know, as somebody who's, who's worked with NetApp for, uh, you know, nine, ten years almost, the NetApp have a great suite of their own data protection tools, you know, the Snap Manager Suite, Snap Center, things like that. Um, so why is a relationship with somebody like Veeam useful? You know, what kind of uh, what kind of value is the gaps that they're filling or is there the additional value that they bring? Yeah, so you know, they, they bring a very full software suite to the table. And of course, with our Snap Manager and our snapshots, we give customers a very, very robust way of being able to, to, to recover. But we're really not a full, we're not a backup solution. And so that's really, it's the granularity that we really find that customers are looking for. And what's so nice about what we're doing with Veeam is that they actually look at our snapshots and our snapshot manager, and they actually integrate directly into it. So they've spent a lot of engineering effort to look at what we do and not replicate what we do, but enhance what we do and give the customer more granularity. Obviously, they're, they're, they were born to virtualize. So in virtual, and, uh, and you know, we're very tightly uh, aligned to both Microsoft and to, to VMware on the virtualization side. So when customers are fully virtualized and they're looking for for that additional levels of granularity and to make even better use out of our snapshotting technology, that's really where Veeam comes in and we have we have thousands of mutual customers. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that as well, the idea that what they're doing is, is, is by no means a Veeam looking to replace what, what NetApp do in terms of data protection. It's all about enhancing it. And some, what's some good examples of the, the way that Veeam do that? So, you know, let's say you need to have seven years of of retention. You have a retention policy for seven years. That's very hard to do with a straight snapshotting technology. That's something where you're going to have to go to a backup vendor like Veeam that you're going to be able to go back and you're going to be able to pull a record. Also, when you want to go off to alternate uh, media forms, that's where a lot of people want to use Veeam as well. And then it's just, just a lot of customers rely on that backup software. They've been using it for years. And of course, you know, Veeam's sort of that next new wave where they were born at the 
the virtualization layer. So they're so simple and it's so easy. That's where we find customers want to be able to not just replace NetApp, they want to be able to enhance their NetApp experience by using a vendor like Veeam. Yeah, and I think that enhancement stuff, you know, we've, we've heard a lot, and, and, and interestingly, I thought there was quite a lot of um, parallels with the NetApp data fabric story, you know, I think we've heard quite a lot from uh, Veeam about this kind of management of uh, multi-cloud and being able to, to move data around. I mean, are you seeing that that kind of view uh, does tie in well with NetApp, and is it is it adding uh, kind of additional capability that uh, to, to what NetApp build in their own data fabric? You know, it is, and, and it's interesting because I just, last week I was in Las Vegas uh, for the, our, our, the, our conference is called Converge, and that's our sales kickoff. And so many of the message, so much of the message that we got delivered there, and this was an internal only conference, mirrored very much what I saw here at the Veeam, the Veeamon conference. Data is the new gold. Data is the new commodity. Data is the new oil. And that's where everyone's talking off that same sheet of music. And our data fabric enables you to have your data anywhere you want it, when you need it, it doesn't matter what platform it's on. And that's, what the, that's the power of ONTAP. Now you look at what, what Veeam brings to the table, is they're, they're able to enhance our data fabric to give you that granularity of backup recovery, being able to do that anywhere, anytime, and being able to take advantage of our data fabric. So they really just, they, they weave directly in, if I, if I can use that pun. I'm not sure you can, but you, you have, <laughs> so that's, that's fine. Um, and just, um, just something else you covered there, that. Um, uh, Veeam, uh, you, you've talked about ONTAP there, you know, and for, for people who are familiar with NetApp, they'll know what ONTAP is, but um, for those who aren't, you know, it's kind of NetApp's primary operating system that sits on their, their, their flash controllers, you know, whether that's all flash or uh, hybrid on, on the FAS range. Um, but Veeam don't only work with that, do they? As you said, it's kind of enabling the data fabric. They actually work across all of the NetApp platforms. They do. So they also have storage grid integration. They have integration to AltaVault, which is our, our, cloud, uh, our, our cloud gateway. Uh, and they also have work on our solid fire stack. Uh, and I believe they've got some really good pieces around things they do with E-Series as well as kind That's of a backup right. target. Yeah, so you know, E-Series is, is an incredibly fast platform for customers to be able to use as a secondary backup target. And so it's, it's really right out of the box. They're able to use that E-Series as a secondary storage target. And of course, for us, that's, that brings another piece to the table for us where you know, Veeam is, is creating more revenue opportunity for us. And we're able to give customers a very, very inexpensive and very fast and reliable uh, all-flash array with the E-Series to be able to do their backups. So for anybody who's um, listening to this who maybe wants to know a little bit more about maybe the NetApp and Veeam integration or maybe don't know anything about NetApp or the, the NetApp data fabric and, and where Veeam play, is, is there a good place they can find out or is there a way that maybe they can stalk you online and ask you difficult questions? Well, they can follow me. I'm at HMB Central on Twitter. And so I've been tweeting here this whole time. And my email is jleads at netapp.com. So drop me an email. And of course, you. so the NetApp website was just completely redone. So if you haven't gone up to netapp.com in a while, I encourage you to go up there and then just click on partners and then you'll find the Veeam stories right up there. And I need to ask now, the Twitter handle, what's the story? So I live in a little town in the Bay Area called Half Moon Bay. And so HMB, everyone calls it HMB, so HMB Central. Twitter was a small startup, and we were, and of course, I live in the Silicon Valley, so you know I play with the cool kids, and everyone was trying to come up with unique Twitter handles. I didn't want to use my name, so I just, and we were all sitting in my in my kitchen table, and we said, "Hey, this is HMB Central," so that's where it came from.
So do you get regular letters from Half Moon Bay City Council saying, can we have our Twitter handle back? Once or, once or twice, I actually did. <laughs> uh, Jeff, look, thanks very much. Uh, and, and continue having enjoyed, uh, enjoying a good show. And uh, thanks for sharing a little bit about Let's Happen Bean. Thanks very much. You bet. My pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Tech Interviews. Um, if you want show notes, pop over to techstringy.com, where you can also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. So next week, we delve more into the data availability market as I speak with Andrew Smith of IDC to get a bigger look at the industry, uh, as well as catching up with both Pivot3 and Data Gravity as we look at different ways of looking at data and data availability. So I hope you can catch the show next week. If you want to make sure you do, why not subscribe? You can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever else you get your podcasts. So until next week, thanks very much listening.